Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Truckers Podcast, FYI. I'm your host, Doug, from Ontario, Canada. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you are from around the world. It is 8.02 a.m. here on the Eastern Standard Time at 8 o'clock here on the 28th of January. I hope everybody had a good week. Hope everybody's had a good weekend. I know it's Sunday. It's the end of the weekend. And of course, for people out there uh, who are football fans, uh, maybe you're a Detroit fan, San Fran's, San Francisco fan, and stuff like that. So a couple games going on, on there today for all you football fans out there. Sorry, I missed you calling in there, Gary. So, um, yeah, my week was uh, okay. My weekend uh, went pretty well. Um, other than that, so what is damp January, not meaning that it's been raining. We've had more rain, and by the way, we've had more rain in January than we've had snow here in southern Ontario, but that's not what it is. It's about non-alcoholic beverages, like your non-alcohol beer or your spritz or your wine. I didn't know this, um, Damp January actually launched in 2006. And it has taken off, and this year, one in three Canadians, 18 to 34, plan to participate in dry or damp January, either abstaining or being more mindful of their alcohol consumption. And there was a tender survey uh, shows that 73% said alcohol isn't as significant to them as it, as it once was. And 60% um, are actively keeping their intake in check. And more than half, 56%, noticed their friends had cut back on drinking. And they're also talking about these trends are going down, especially with younger generations. Now, drinking less alcohol or abstaining altogether isn't about cost, underscores MacArthur. Well, cost and cost in your health cost in your pocketbook. Alcohol isn't cheap to buy here in Canada. Now, so drinking less altogether, I think it would probably have something to do with cost 
And I think people are starting to be um, more mindful uh, uh, of their consumption. I think people are, are starting to be more mindful of their health. Now, I have tried these non-alcoholic uh, non beverages. Um, Corona uh, has come out with one that's called uh, Sunbrew. Heineken. Uh, even uh, Budweiser has come out with uh, non-alcohol beer. And there's, there's others as well. Um, there are still some that are on the market that do have alcohol, but they have like 0.05%, not the 5%. So um, I'm not, um, well, I used to be at one point in time, well, like everybody else, a social drinker, right? Go to the bars with your friends on the weekends, um, sporting events, and that. So, um, the last time that I had any alcohol was New Year's Eve. Now it's the 28th of January. I would go out every single weekend, like everybody else. Join up with friends. And like I said, either there's just a, a party bar or a sports bar or whatever the case may be. Now, and, and doing that on the weekends, you know, Friday night, Saturday night, um, binge drinking. You know, guilty. Now, when it comes with the cost, yeah, you know, even buying drinks in a bar isn't cheap. It's expensive. But the other uh, the other cost factors, you know, with consuming alcohol, health factors. Would I be willing to quit alcohol altogether or just have an, an alcoholic drink from time to time? Which I would probably, which I would probably do. Yeah, the non-alcohol beverages taste great. They taste the same. There's no difference in taste. But without the impairment, without the uh, without the hangover the next day, because New Year's Day, after a night of drinking on New Year's Eve, it took me a couple of days to recover. Now, even like, uh, you know, a lot of uh, restaurants and bars um, are getting into these 
um, the low proof or even non-alcohol beverages. And there are more robust offerings than ever. And the products are even tasting better. There's a lot more product development going into these products. You, you now have um, non-alcohol beer that tastes pretty darn good. And you're starting to see lower, uh, lower alcohol wines come out and be marked that way. They do still pertain some alcohol, but not as much. Doesn't mean you drink more, but people do because we're just people. That's what we do. Now, even the health-driven products coming into non non-alcohol spaces that is probably resonating with the younger generations a little bit differently. And so shifting what it seems to be as cool as be holding in your hands at a social gathering. And it is about having choices. We want to create spaces where people feel comfortable coming into making that choice. That's right for them. I went out yesterday. And um, I took the grandkids out to an arcade facility, and it's a, a pool tables, video games, bowling, and, and all that stuff. And um, I had uh, the non-alcohol Budweiser because you don't want to be drinking anyways when you have your your grandkids with you. And then, you know, of course, lots of food and, and that stuff like that. So, um, and I would, I would, I would definitely, definitely drink it again, uh, drink it again. But, um, just so you know that these things are out there, right? So, so this movement of talking about that, it set the stage. Um, here in Canada too, you know, um, we have legal cannabis. Um, and the world is also getting out about the health risks of drinking alcohol. In 2026, Ireland will become the first country in the EU to label alcohol products with health warnings, including the risk of liver disease and developing cancers. And experts have been exploring whether the same should happen in Canada, that they talked about this. We label cigarettes. Here in Canada, I don't know about other countries when it comes to labeling cigarettes. We have very graphic images on our cigarette packs. It probably hopes to 
um, get people to quit smoking. They talked about labeling alcohol products here in Canada. And the big three breweries here in Canada push back. Well, this is well, this will uh, affect our sales. I'm not worried about your health. It will affect their sales. The people have the right to know the health risks of drinking alcohol. It's like people know, have the right to know the health risks of smoking. Now, what do you think? I don't know, maybe yourselves. Maybe you tried some of the, some of your favorite products that you like to drink now are non-alcoholic. You know, have you tried them? And do you like them? I like them. I'll keep going out and buying them. You know, one thing for sure, you know, coming summertime, um, when we go uh, early August um, up north for a fishing trip, I like to be on the boat quite often. And sometimes I operate the boat. Sometimes I don't. But I would prefer to have the non-alcohol drink. And not worrying about operating a, a watercraft under the influence. And it's refreshing. And you don't have to worry about getting up the next day and have a, having a hangover. Now, something else has come up. Um, just recently, now, just a second here, I'll invite you on the show here. That's ridiculous. Honestly. You're going to waste time like that. Don't bother calling in. Seriously. We don't have anything to say. Don't bother. Now, recently, um, the mayor um, of the city of London, where I reside, had his annual speech about what they want to do with the city 
what more they want to do about the homelessness. In the city. And a new stats had had, um, recently come out. And at any given time here in London, Ontario, there are roughly 1,700 to 2,100 people confirmed to be experiencing homelessness. And of those, about 600 are are considered um, high risks of being homeless, meaning they require a high level of supports. And meanwhile, the number of encampments in the city nearly tripled between June and November of 2023. And while over 400 households have been placed in housing where rent is geared to income, the wait list is still nearly 7,000 people. And the report heading to the City Council's Community and Protective Services Committee this week provides a snapshot of the data on homelessness in London also spells out the information and other what information is not available. Now, they have um, a, a data that comes from the city's binding list, a list of everyone connecting with the homelessness services in the community who consent to have a file built with their name, homeless history, health, and housing needs. So according to the city, at least 19% of those experiencing homeless are indigenous, but the city staff are confident that the figure is likely closer to 30%, and I would think it's probably closer to more than 40%. And some of the considerations for why this number is lower they're talking about is due to the likelihood of individuals not self-identifying as indigenous, the city staff are saying. So many factors could prevent someone from identifying as indigenous. They may include past and ongoing experience of racism, trauma associated with outgoing effects of the colonialization. Now, they estimated that um, 1% are between the ages of 17 and 21 homeless individuals at any given time and are confirmed as veterans. And the vast majority are between the ages of 25 and 59 and 37%, each of those aged 25 to 39 and 40 to 59 while 14% of those are 16 to 24, and 12% are 60 and older. They estimated about 12% of those experienced homeless have been homeless for at least six months, or have been homeless for at least 18 months total in the last three years. 
And for those who are on the by name list, 61% are listed as male, 36% female, and only 2% who are gender queer, gender non-conforming, transgender, or two-spirit. Now they mentioning over the course of 2023, there was an average of 350 people at any given time living unsheltered, meaning they did not stay in the emergency shelter at all. And at their height in November, there was 103 active, 103 active encampments in the city. And though it's unknown how many tents there were, that's up from 38 in June of 2023. Just November, just last November, there was an act of 103 encampments. Now, They have been working on a lot of different things. Uh, three um, prominent builders um, here in the city just recently purchased um, they used to be uh, an old uh, an old age um, an old age home had closed a couple years ago. So these developers bought this property and they want to help convert it into residential with wraparound supports for people who are experiencing homelessness. And they want to help those people, you know, who are chronically homeless, who have serious health issues. And I think it probably probably holds about a hundred people. Which is good news for the community, which is good news for people who are experiencing homelessness. Now there's also been talk about um, people who have come from outside the city who are experiencing homelessness. Whether they were sent here through other agencies, whether they were sent here on false pretense. Um, they don't really have, you know, the numbers 
really at hand whether you know they were here under false pretenses or they were just sent here because the communities they come from lack of services we lack services Now, the other data here is that, um, according to the data, 55 interactions involving someone who self-reported having been in the city for less than six months, or roughly 4% of total interaction, 56 self-identified as having been in the city between six months and two years. And the rest of those chose the answer. They, they've had been in the city for more than two years. So it's not just, you know, Londoners, it's people coming from other communities. Now, we even talked about, they're even talking about, we have downtown London. I said, that, I think they said that estimate at about 30% um, vacancy rate in the downtown buildings, office buildings. They're talking about converting those office spaces those buildings into affordable housing. Now, how much can the city, how much money can the city get their hands on to maybe purchase those buildings about the, the, the developers who own those buildings? Are they willing to convert those office spaces into shelter? That's, I guess, remain to be seen. Um, but for sure, this one long-term care home that used to be a long-term care home, um, the three developers, three of the largest developers here in the city, um, want to work with the city in order to um, get that project up and going and hopefully get people housed. Now, who's to blame for the housing crisis? Well, we have the federal government, we have the provincial government, and we have the municipal. Now, Despite what the prime minister has said recent, uh, recently, a new poll suggests that 40% of Canadians 
think his government is to blame for the country's housing crisis. And the ledger surveyed 1,500 people between August 18 and August 20, asking a series of questions about the rising cost of housing and what should be done about it. And when asked which level of government deserves the most blame for the crisis, 40% of respondents pointed to the finger at the federal government and 32% at the provincial government. And just 6% of those polled felt their municipal government was to blame. And another 22% said they were not sure. Renters are more likely to blame the province while those who own their own homes were inclined to blame the feds. So Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, was criticized by opposition parties and experts after he told reporters earlier this month that housing isn't a primary federal responsibility. It is so. because it starts from the funding from the federal government to the province, to the municipalities. Now they're talking about, you know, so they had their, um, they had their liberal cabinet meeting Two experts who published a report on housing that sets out 10 recommendations for how the federal government could tackle the problem. One of those is a national housing accord that would see all three levels of government agree to work with builders and nonprofit agencies to coordinate their efforts. And the government hasn't detailed any plans yet, but the minister has been meeting they have been having their meetings and um, they had said that housing is, is, is a top priority. There was um, an overall 95% of respondents said that the rising cost of rents and the lack of affordable homes are a serious problem. See, all new builds don't have rent control. So the builders can charge whatever rent they want. Now, there's another poll, the people who were polled, 55% reported that they were worried at least once or twice about being able to pay their own mortgage or rent in the last couple of months. That includes 16% who say they worried frequently about being able to make the payments. People between the ages of 18 and 24 were most likely to, to fret and the proportion of people worried about the, the was the highest in the cities, regionally Albertans and British Columbians were also more likely to be concerned about making their payments. 
Now, with this, um, So, of course, people who are homeless, and their health, top ten top 10 health issues facing homeless people. Mortality and unintentional injuries, bruises, cuts, burns, etc. The injury rates among people experiencing homeless are greater than in the general population. The prevalence of tra traumatic brain injuries along among among the homeless individuals is between 2.5 to four times higher than the general population. The muscular skeletal disorders and chronic pain, disorders that affect the joints, ligaments, tendons, like arthritis are common among people who experience homelessness. One study linked chronic pain in homeless individuals who were mentally ill. Chronic pain is a symptom of an underlying condition. Although in many cases related to homelessness, it's not always possible to treat it. And it can negatively affect these individuals, general activity, walking, sleeping. Hunger and nutrition. I don't know why that's not up on number one. In developed countries like Canada, it can be tough to recognize hunger as an issue. I don't know why they can why it can be hard to, to recognize hunger as an issue. They say they even say between uh, one and five children go hungry. Now there's uh, the research uh, one in one in eight households in Canada experience food insecurity over the course of any given year. At number four, skin and foot problems. People who experience homelessness are often out and about for long periods of time. Sometimes in ill-fitting ill shoes, worn out socks, foot-related problems, infections, pains, and more common among the homeless because of this. At number five, infectious diseases. And the research suggests that individuals experience homelessness tend to be a greater risk during the pandemic outbreaks 
to the to the uh, compromised immune system, poor nutrition, the overcrowding in shelters. At number six, dental problems. Periods of prolonged homelessness are often detrimental on people's oral health. The inability to access preventative and restorative care, combined with poor hygiene, often results in tooth decay and other oral issues. Number seven, respiratory illness, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, emphysema, bronchitis, and other forms of respiratory diseases are also common among people who experience homelessness. And number eight, chronic diseases and disorders. Many chronic diseases and disorders like hypertension, diabetes, are common, are common in homeless population. Homeless adults are two to four times more likely to have hypertension than other cardiovascular diseases than the general population. Diabetes among the homeless adults is around 4.1% and only slightly higher than the prevalence of 3.2 in the general population. At number nine, sexual and reproductive care. And this is an area of health with a growing research base, especially among young people who are at most risk Youth who are homeless tend to have more sexual partners and at younger ages, making them more risk of sexually transmitted diseases. 6% to 22% of young women who are experiencing homelessness may be pregnant. Being homeless makes uh, reproductive conditions like pregnancy even more stressful due to the already having compromised health and lacking health support systems. And at number 10, mental health issues. Mental health issues are quite common in the homeless population. And a recent study revealed a prevalence of 20.8% for mental illnesses of any kind among people experience homelessness. This is only 1 to 3% higher than the prevalence in the general population. Anyone can become homeless. Could be an illness, an injury, loss of employment. And for and, and more for the people who are on low wages. The one pay check away from being evicted. Rental evictions have become prevalent across the province.
where landlords use this to get low renters out in order to increase the rent. It's happening right across the country. Cities across the country are looking at ways that they can stop rental evictions. And what steps they can take. One of the things that they're looking at is that, is it necessary for the tenant to move out while you perform a certain renovation? And that the place would have to be inspected. The landlord would have to provide a whole list of things of what needs to be done. And then an inspector come in to see if those are absolutely necessary. And does the tenant have to move out? Because when it comes to a rental eviction, the tenant has the first right of, refu of, of refusal. Meaning he or she can move back in. Pay the same rent that they were paying. But what's happening is landlords, not all of them, but some of them, are not informing the tenant of the progression of the reno of, of the renovations, not informing them that the renovations are done, and re-renting it out at a higher monthly rate. Now, whatever these rules they want to implement as bylaws, and of course, with the landlord's tenants board, you know, and, and the rules that comes to uh, rental evictions. and the ongoing disputes, you know, at the landlord's tenants, tenants board, the wait times even, even for hearings. And just because you get a notice of a rental eviction, doesn't mean you have to move out. People get really worried about that. 
just last year, 2023, um, last summer, two high rises that were purchased from a new uh, developer started sending out rental evictions. These are senior buildings, people who are on fixed and low income that live there. And the new owners want to rent or evict. They have to go through the process. Just because they give you a notice and, and a date to move out, it doesn't mean you have to move out. That's why we have a landlord tenant board. So, there's all this stuff going on and, you know, the, uh, I'm not sure how many um, tent encampments that are in the city right now. There's still something um, roughly between three to four hundred people who are living unhoused, who are not in the shelters. They're in these in these um, tent encampments around the city. They have uh, supports um, around them all day. Providing food, water, toiletries. Blankets. but yet with no place to go. It's kind of hard to imagine, you know, a country like Canada, the United States, other European countries around the world, that we have this problem. It's not just here in North America. Even the World Health Organization says it's a human right to have shelter. And yet here we are.
it'll pour, uh, post, um, post-war builds after the Second World War, the Canadian government recognized that there is a shortage of housing and we need to build. And they did. A lot of those houses are still standing today. And that's the initiative I feel that the federal government needs to take. And helping the provinces and the municipalities with funding. And have an initiative build like we did the post-war. And that these places are affordable for everyone. Regardless of who you are. We haven't built social housing since the 1980s. And early in the, in the show, I mentioned to you, there are 7,000 people, which includes families who are on a wait list for social housing. That'll take years to fill. It's approximately 10 year waiting list. And for those who have a disability and for those who need a unit that is equipped for disability, this is approximately 12 year wait list. This shouldn't be happening. Here, the country of Canada. But it is. And here we are in a housing crisis, affordability crisis, homeless crisis, addiction crisis. We could even say mental, a mental health crisis. And the lack of supports. We leave it up to the politicians to act and do the right thing. And over the past couple of decades, they've done nothing except drag their feet. So who's to blame for the crisis? The government at all levels.
Well, I want to thank you for joining me this morning here on the Truckers Podcast, FYI. Get out there, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Enjoy the upcoming week. Stay safe. And I will see you, hopefully, you can come out next Sunday morning at 8 a.m. And join me here on the Truckers Podcast, FYI. If you can, that's great. If you can't, I understand. Until then, take care. And thank you. This is the Truckers Podcast, FYI. I am your host, Doug, from Ontario, Canada. Take care.